Amen. You may be seated this morning, and I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and uh, find with me the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, and so it's one book uh, toward the New Testament from Nahum. Uh, it's one book back toward the Old Testament, uh, Genesis from Zephaniah, and so I want you to find Habakkuk, and we're going to continue in our study uh, that is just simply entitled, When Darkness Hides His Face, Why God Allows and How He Uses, How He Interacts with Suffering and Evil. And what a great word for Graduate Sunday. I know some of you may be thinking, what in the world does this Old Testament minor prophet Habakkuk have to say to graduates who are uh, graduating high school, looking on to uh, what God would have for them uh, since they've reached this milestone and this achievement in their life. And I would say to you, there's a tremendous word in Habakkuk chapter 1 in the first part of chapter 2, just about watching for and waiting on God. Watching for and waiting on God. I'm reminded this morning that some of you all may be in that very uh, place yourself. Maybe you're waiting on hearing from a test, and you've had some uh, tests done, and you're just waiting to hear back from them, and maybe what the doctor is going to uh, advise you in from there. Maybe it is that some of you are here, and you're waiting for a particular uh, announcement or a call on a job or changing vocations. Maybe some of you all are here just thinking about <clears throat> what are you going to be doing in your future. Are you going to be here? Are you going to be doing something else somewhere else? How are my children going to turn out? A lot of different things that can be upon your mind and upon your heart. <coughs> Excuse me, but right now, Trace, could I have that water? Right now, thank you. Uh, right now, I want us to just think about what does it mean to watch for and wait upon the Lord. To watch for and wait upon the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, and then we're going to read um, verse one of chapter two. And uh, you see this prophet continuing to question the Lord. So he's already posed two questions to the Lord, and now he's going to pose another question to the Lord, and he's just observing. He knows what Babylon has done to, um, he knows what Babylon has already done to the Assyrians. He knows that Babylon is coming uh, for Jerusalem and Judea. He knows that there's not a lot of hope for, uh, for the nation of Israel. He knows that they're struggling. He knows that they've been in gross disobedience. Uh, the Lord has raised him up to prophesy about that. He's raised up Ezekiel to prophesy about that. Jeremiah to prophesy about that. All of these prophets are prophesying and calling the Israel to repentance, and yet Israel will not repent. And so Habakkuk knows judgment is coming. He knows that destruction is probably going to come. And so he's waiting on the Lord and saying, Lord, why won't you deliver your people? And he's really wrestling with how is it that you're using these evil, barbaric Babylonians to... Um, to judge your people. Why is it that you're doing that? You're going to hear that very clearly, uh, especially when we get to the end of uh, verse 13. But let's, let's read that together. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. The prophet says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment. 
and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? He's raising these questions to the Lord about the Babylonians. Now listen to what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post. Isn't that incredible? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Watching for and waiting on God. It's a tremendous thing to be in a place of suffering or to be in a place where you're just surrounded by evil. We are certainly in that type of place here in America. Some of you would say and contend and say, yeah, but we're so prosperous and we're still the best nation ever. But if you're looking at our nation with spiritual eyes, with biblical eyes, you really know that we're struggling in so many different ways as a country and as a people. How many of you would realize that? Raise your hand. We have this ongoing debate on whether a human being with a heartbeat is truly a human being and deserves to live or should it deserve to die. I want to say to you, if you're a member at Calvary Baptist, that, that's a no-brainer. And uh, that, that really almost moves to who God is and God's intended purpose for human beings. And so you should really be cemented about that particular issue. All life is precious to God. If you believe that, say amen. Doesn't matter if that life is a black life or a white life or a Hispanic life. Doesn't matter what country that person is born from. Doesn't matter if it's a baby in the mother's womb or if it's a senior adult laying in a hospital bed somewhere or in a nursing home somewhere. All life is incredibly, incredibly valuable. If you believe that, say amen. A special needs baby that turns into an adolescent, a teenager, and then a young adult into an old adult. That special needs child is just as important as me. He's uh, uh, just as important as a president. He's just as important as a businessman or a millionaire. If you believe that, say amen. We need to affirm such things not only with our lips but with our actions. The way that we interact with people uh, so that we can treat all people with tremendous dignity. This is part of the issue that Habakkuk is raising before the Lord. Why is it that these barbaric Babylonians are just mistreating people and they're just running amok? And why is it that you've chosen such an evil group of people to render judgment upon your people? That's the question that has is, is come to his mind and to his heart that he is wrestling with. I want to remind you, if this is your first day here at Calvary or it's your first day in this series uh, about Habakkuk when darkness hides his face, I want to remind you uh, this morning that 
um, Habakkuk is not demonstrating zero faith or no faith. Uh, Habakkuk is demonstrating perplexed faith. He's demonstrating a faith that is wrestling with the Lord. Those are two entirely different things. Over here, no faith, right, uh, lands us in unbelief. It, it lands us in being agnostic or, athe uh, or becoming an atheist. Over here, a perplexed faith, a wrestling faith, is trying to comprehend the ways of God and why God is doing the way, uh, what he's doing and the way he's going about it. Those two things are completely different. So when someone, when you're in a real place of evil or you're in a real place of suffering, there's just a real trial going on in your life. You're experiencing real temptation that sometimes you yield to, sometimes you have victory over, and, and you're just wrestling with where you are in the Lord. And somebody comes along and says to you something like, well, you should never question God. If you question God, that demonstrates you have no faith. That demonstrates that person does not know God's word and has never read a huge chunk of Proverbs, most of the Psalms, certainly has not read Habakkuk, certainly has not read the Apostle Paul. To know God is to question God. Y'all ain't believing that, are you? To know God is to question God. I'm not talking about questioning God's character. I'm not talking about questioning his existence. I'm talking about questioning and wrestling with the ways of God and how he goes about doing what he does and why he simply does it. And so here, when we begin to consider the prophet watching for and waiting on God to move and minister, how is it that we are going to do that? How is Megan and Emily, uh, how is Gunner and Cole, where are you at, guys? Where are you at, Gunner? Over here, Cole, where are you at? Right there. Uh, how, how in the world are these guys going to wait for and watch for and wait on God successfully as God unfolds his plans to their, in their life and direction in their life and as they grow and mature as believers? How are you going to watch for God at work in your kids? How are you going to wait patiently on the Lord to develop them the way God wants to? How are you going to wait for that diagnosis and, and that uh, treatment? How are you going to watch for God at work and wait on him? If we're going to do that well and we're going to do that faithfully, I want to give you three thoughts. The first you find in verses 12 and 13. If we are going to watch for and wait on God faithfully, what we know about God must triumph over our perceptions. What we know about God must triumph over our perceptions. You see that in verse 12 and 13. But secondly, in verses 14 through 17, if we're going to watch for and wait upon God successfully and faithfully, how we view God's sovereignty must shape the way we see man's evil deeds. See, we have this uncanny way because of our fallen nature always to look at life by how it affects me, but not according to God's great plan and his scheme and how it affects others. And so if we're going to watch for and wait upon God faithfully, how we view God's sovereignty must shape the way we see man's evil deeds. And then lastly, in verse 1 of chapter 2, how we respond to God must triumph over unbelief and inactivity. 
How we respond to God, his word, must triumph over unbelief and inactivity. Listen to how the prophet puts it in verse 12 and 13. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked <clears throat> swallows up the man more righteous than he? What Habakkuk does in verse 1, what God allows us to see is what Habakkuk knew to be true about God. Why don't you jot these things down this morning and just ask yourself, do I know these things to be certain and true about the Lord? Do these things, do what I believe to be true about God, what I know to be true about God, does it uh, help me understand perceptions? Here's what Habakkuk knew about God. He knew that God is the everlasting God. And that phrase, everlasting God, when you look at, look at that in the Hebrew, it's a title for the Lord. And it means like he's a God like no other. He's self-existent. He's always existent. He is dependent upon no one or no thing at any time. He knew, Habakkuk the prophet knew, that God is this everlasting God. He knew God is the holy God. And then he comes back and defines that a little bit. He says, you are so holy, you who have purer eyes than to see evil, and you can't even, can't even look at wrong. He's saying, your character is so righteous, so holy, so pure, that you can't even entertain what is wrong. And he says, uh, because of that, you are this holy God. You're distinct. You're different. You're just not like the fallen created order. And so Habakkuk knows he's an everlasting God. He knows he's a holy God. Do you know those two things this morning? And then he says this. He knew God is a personal God. Not once, but twice in the first verse, or in the 12th verse, does he begin to talk about God being his personal God. He says, my God, and then he refers to the Lord as my holy one. He knew that God was personal near to his heart. He knew that he was personal and near to the heart of his people, the Israelites. Do you know that this morning? Do you believe that God's this everlasting God? He's self-existent. He's not dependent on anyone, that he's holy, that in him no sin or evil proceeds, that he is holy, he's righteous, he's completely different. And do you realize that he is your God? Has God become your God? Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? Are you in a right relationship with your, the one who created you, with your heavenly Father because of what Christ has done for you upon the cross? Habakkuk knew God to be a personal God. He had a relationship with him, not through Christ, but through the God as he revealed himself and as Habakkuk responded in faith. He knew God as this personal God. And then he knew God is this God of permanence. Listen to the language that he uses. O rock, have established them for reproof. O Lord, you have ordained them, the Babylonians, as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Habakkuk knew God is this God of permanence. Establishing and ordaining human history. Uh, do you know God is your rock? Do you know he has... Your first from your last, and he's got everything in between. Do you know that he is watching over you and that he is providing for you? 
that he is the Lord over all of your history and not just your history, but he is God over all of human history? Or are you looking at God at just this particular part of your life? Let's say you're looking at your particular part of life as Randy Shaw at 54. Are you seeing just here and just now? Or do you understand that God is from everlasting to everlasting? That he sees, he knows, and he has all of that covered under his providence. There's things that happen that are not just by chance. Isn't that what the modern media wants us to believe and understand? Don't they want us to just think that whatever we experience in life, when tragedies come or when great victories occur, when something happens, it just happened and it's so neat and it's happened because this particular human being chose to do this. And in all truthfulness, God ordains everything that occurs. Do you believe that this morning, faith family? If you do, say amen. And a blade of grass doesn't grow. And a lot of grass is growing these days, right? A blade of grass does not grow. A fowl, a bird, a sparrow of the air does not fall. Nothing occurs without God knowing, watching, and ordaining that and allowing that to happen in some form or fashion. And so Habakkuk, this prophet, he knew a lot to be true about God. Preacher, why is that so important for me? Here's why it's so important. Uh, you need to make sure that what you know about God, even though it may perplex you, even though it may raise questions, you must never abandon the foundations of the faith and what you know to be true about God as he's revealed his character to us. You hold on to that. You don't let that waver in the wind. If my word is one thing and God's word is another thing, whose word is true? Pastor Randy's or the Lord's? Now you guys got to say it more than that. Pastor Randy's word or the Lord's word? The Lord's word. Every single time when your attitude, your action, your thought process, your word is not in line with the word of God, whose word is true? Not yours, right? It's always the word of the Lord that is true. And so Habakkuk knows this about God. And then he lets us have a little bit of glimpse there in verse 13 about what Habakkuk perceived or what he thought he knew about God and man. But his perception wasn't completely accurate because he says, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? So Habakkuk is saying... Uh, I, I think God is idle and inactive. He, he just thought the Lord was not busy doing anything. And so therefore he thought the Lord is not at work because the Lord doesn't care. Now I want to say to you, this is Satan's, uh, this is like his go-to play every time in our life. When he wants to create not doubt but fear, he makes you think that God's but silence or inactivity means that God does not see or God does not care. Oh, listen to me, Calvary family. Listen to me. God sees you. He sees you every day. He sees you every second and minute of the day. There's never a time that God does not see you, and there is never a time that God does not care for you. Do not believe for one iota of a second 
that because God may be silent or because it doesn't appear that God's doing something, that God is idle or that he has not your interest at his heart. Let me give you two proof texts for that. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Listen to what... <clears throat> The, listen to what the word of God says. The steadfast love of the Lord, what? Never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The love of the Lord, what? It never ceases. You mean when I lose loved ones, his love never ceases. When I lose my job, never ceases. When I have a rebellious teen, never ceases. When I, when I just can't find my way and it seems like God is silent and quiet, the Lord loves you and he, his love never ceases. Listen to Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily, who daily bears our burdens. The God who is daily our salvation. Psalm 68, 19. What are you saying this morning, Pastor? What does the Lord want me to take away? What we know about God must triumph over our perceptions. Our perceptions are not always accurate. And so when you say, what I see must be true, that is not always true, right? You can come up upon a situation, you can see a man beating another man like he's half beating him half to death, and you can perceive this man is brutally robbing and taking this man, but you miss that first two-minute exchange where that man took that man's little boy and started running down the street with him, right? Hello? Two totally different circumstances. But when you came upon it, you perceived it to be one thing when in all actuality, it was something completely, completely different. He thought, listen to this, Habakkuk thought that wicked men were worse sinners than righteous men who are sinners. So he says to the Lord, when the wicked swallows up the man, more righteous than he. I shared this two weeks ago, and I want to share it again. I may share it every, every Sunday during Habakkuk. Ron Dunn said this, and it is so fitting. And church family, we must get this in our mind and our heart. Listen to this. God does not condemn sin in the sinner and turn around and condone sin in the saint. Habakkuk thought the Babylonians, cruel, unbelief, lost people, he thought that their sin was worse than the Israelites' sin. But here's what you need to know. The Israelites, man, were idolaters at this period of time. Why did they go into that captivity? Because they were exercising unbelief. They were not living as people of faith. And by the way, every Israelite who has ever been saved has been saved by faith, not because they were a national Hebrew. Are y'all tracking with me? Right? It's not like God just established this nation, and, and if you're a part of that nation, you're in. If you are exercising faith in Yahweh, you're in. If you're not exercising faith in Yahweh, you are out. Right? And so... God does not condemn sin in the sinner and then turn around and condone it in the saint. Sin in the life of the believer is far worse than sin in the life of the unbeliever. Why? Because when God's people deliberately disobey him, we sin against the flood of light and an ocean of love and, 
and God's revealed word to our hearts and we have this relationship with him, right? And so it's one thing for me to sin against uh, my neighbor. It's a totally different thing for me to sin against my wife. I may not know my neighbor, which I do know my neighbors, but if I didn't know my neighbor, that's one thing. It's a totally different thing to know the love of a wife and a woman and then sin against her. What are you saying, Pastor? What you know about God may be perplexing, but it must never be abandoned. Listen to what um, Gil had to say about these two verses, and then we're going to move on. He said, Dear people of God, we can apply this truth to our life, for Habakkuk's confident declaration is the same declaration every child of God can triumphantly proclaim, because he is God, the everlasting God, and we are in him. In the everlasting Christ, we too are now everlasting and will not die. We may die physically, but we will not experience the eternal death which results in everlasting separation from the everlasting God because this everlasting God is faithful. What we know about God must triumph over our perceptions. Number two, how we view God's sovereignty must shape the way we see man's evil deeds. How we view God's sovereignty must shape the way we see man's evil deeds. How many of you are awake? Wave at me like this. right? Somebody came to me before church and said, I've worked all night. I've not slept. I said, man, the Lord's going to have to be really good to keep you awake. I'm about to rock some of your world, and so hang with me. Don't judge me. Don't judge the word, the word until we're through. How we view God's sovereignty must shape the way we see man's evil deeds. Verses 14 through 17 is a description of the Babylonians. And it's a description of how brutal and how merciless, how mercy, how without mercy they are. <laughs> it is a description, this whole picture of a dragnet, this whole picture of a net, this whole picture of a harvest. If you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, you would say, oh, this, he must be talking about God. He must be talking about Habakkuk. He must be talking about Israel. No, he is talking about how the Babylonians, how the Babylonians are about to lay siege on the nation of Israel. And so, uh, will you write this down, how we view God's sovereignty? God is sovereign and he is just. This word sovereign means he is absolutely in control. He is reigning. He is ruling. And nothing, nothing can approach his sovereignty. God is never without his power. He is never without his dignity. He is never without his presence. God is sovereign and just. In verse 14, when mankind abandons their created dignity. When mankind abandons their created dignity. In verse 14 he said, You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. What is he talking about? He's talking about the way the Israelites were living. He was talking about the Babylonians overthrowing the Assyrians. And he's talking about knowing that the Babylonians are coming to Judea. God is sovereign and just when mankind abandons their created dignity. I saw this week on the news a, a woman, I don't know if you all saw it, she was on a subway, I can't remember the city. And there was an elderly man there, he had a walker, and she had been bullying people on the subway, on the train. 
and she'd been, or, or it was a bus, and she had been bullying them, and he was asking her to just calm down. This man was in his 70s. And uh, he came to his stop, and he got his walker out, and he was going to step down the bus steps out into, onto the sidewalk. And this woman, she pushed him and shoved him down the stairs to the ground on the floor. And just a week later, he's died. He, he's, he died from that fall. And I look at that, and I looked at her, at, at her arrest picture, and, and I read a little bit about her, and I just thought, this is tragic in so many ways. Certainly tragic for that older man, right? Certainly tragic for people on that bus who, who were eyewitnesses to that, who are now going to be called into court to testify against her. Tragic in a way that this woman has lost all sense of human dignity and how she's supposed to interact with other human beings. My brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, it is equally, equally misappropriating the human dignity we have when a doctor who has swore to uphold and defend life takes babies who have a beating heartbeat from their mother's womb. When, listen to me, when mankind abandoned our created dignity, God is still sovereign and he's still just. Verse 15, when cruelty and humiliation and injustice flourish, God is still sovereign and just. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. I want to give you the historical context of this. When the Babylonians had taken siege of the Assyrians, and then when the Babylonians uh, conquer uh, Israel, they would take a hook and they would pierce the lower lip of those people that they were taking into captivity. Have you ever wondered, how is it that all of Israel... Where, or the majority of Israel was taken to Babylon in captivity. How, have you ever wondered how that was? Why all these bright young rulers and leaders and people with so much promise, why did they just scatter and hide? Do you know what they would do? They would pierce with a hook the lower lip, and they would one by one carry them along. And when they had to string them along, how many of you have ever put fish on a stringer, not in a basket? Watch what they would do. They would take that. A hook, pierce one lip with a rope, and then they would pass it on to the next. They would pierce that one, and people would walk along in a line. You say, how barbaric. I would encourage you and challenge you to look at America's history concerning slavery. Because that's how many of our forefathers treated Africans when we brought them over and we made them slaves here in America. I told you I was going to rock your world today. Right? This imagery of this dragnet and this, this hook and leading them into captivity. It reminds us that during cruelty and humiliation and injustice, while it flourishes, God is still sovereign and he's still completely just. I'm going to show you how and why. 
In verse 16, when idolatry and materialism flourish, God is still sovereign. You can read that. When murder and mercilessness flourish, verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Is that what, God, you're allowing the Babylonians to do? And I want to say to you, God is sovereign and just when all of that wickedness seems to flourish. So what does that mean? How should we view God's sovereignty? Well, first of all, will you write this down and don't lose this? Evil and wickedness does not define God, but evil and wickedness defines man. Evil and wickedness does not define God's character. Evil and wickedness defines our character, right? Because of the fall, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. We act in unjust ways. We act in cruel ways. We act in idolatrous ways. We act in merciless ways. We act in ways where we don't recognize the very dignity that God created us to have. Why is that? It's all because of the fall. And so when you start to wrestle with this question of evil and suffering and wickedness, when you start looking at that, you need to know that that whole idea and question of evil and wickedness it defines mankind. It doesn't define the Lord. And so let me give you a few quick thoughts about this. Number one, God permits evil to judge the unbeliever, the unconverted. Whenever you read God's word from Genesis to Revelation, when you see this kind of injustice occurring, God permits evil to judge the unbeliever. Number two, God permits evil to refine the obedient. Sometimes God has those who are following him and trying to do what he says, and they are in a situation where they are recipients. They're receiving some amount of evil or wickedness. They are partly receiving that, not because of their obedience, but because they are in the world. And so God permits evil to refine the obedient. Just uh, last week, last Thursday, we heard that the family that Levi uh, spent the summer with last year, one of our IMB personnel there in China, they went back to China, to Beijing. Um, they were going back for, off their furlough, back for another term. And when they got there, the husband was taken into Chinese custody immediately, taken to a holding room in the airport. He was shaken down. He was put back on an airplane and sent back, not knowing what they were going to do with his wife and kids. They took his wife and kids to another room, and they said to her, you've got two days to get your bags and we've got this flight booked for you, and we're going to get you out. Our International Mission Board got her out in one day, right? And now the family is united. And when asked about, are you heartbroken for the people? Are you heartbroken for how this has occurred? Um, I can't say his name, but how he responded was simply by saying, do you know what? I believe that God allows all things to happen for a reason. And I am sure that my family will grow because of this situation. Sometimes God permits evil to refine the obedient. If I had the pages up here on stage and I said to them, how have you witnessing persecution in the big country of Asia, how has that helped sharpen your faith? They've witnessed evil, they've witnessed injustice, and I would think every one of y'all would say it has grown us. It's caused us to be more grateful to God, right? They're over there shaking their head like, yeah, 
God permits evil to refine obedience. God permits evil to discipline the disobedient believer. So sometimes it's not the unbeliever or unconverted that is judged, but God permits evil to discipline, not judge, because our sin is judged at the cross, but to discipline the disobedient believer. And then God permits evil to purify those he has chosen and is working in. How should we view God's sovereignty when it comes in direct conflict, it appears, to evil and wickedness? Now let me encourage you this morning. Satan wants to take those very same circumstances and he wants to use evil to turn you away from the word of God. He he don't want you to trust the word. He wants your circumstances to dictate to you, you know what, evil and suffering must somehow define God so your God is is not a God worth serving or he's not a, a God worth obeying Satan in the garden to Adam and Eve. And I would say to you, He wants us to turn away from the word of God. That's why I'm saying at all costs, never abandon the word. And then he wants us to turn away from the will of God. He doesn't want you to know God's will. He doesn't want you to do God's will. And most of all, he wants you to turn away from the cross of Christ. Somehow, God is not reliable if he has allowed this uh, Christ to die on the cross. Surely, this form of cruel behavior is not the way that God chose to demonstrate his love to a lost and dying world. See, the enemy wants to use evil to not perplex us, but to move us to despair. Now, my brothers and sisters, if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, there have been times of evil, suffering in my life when I've picked up the word of God and I just couldn't see, hear, or sense God's presence. I want to say something to you. Persevere. Stay in God's word. Ask him why he's silent. Ask him why there's a struggle. Tell him you desperately long to hear from him. And whatever you do, persevere in the word. Right? If y'all believe that's great teaching, say amen. So how we live, how we view God's sovereignty must shape the way we see man's evil deeds. And then lastly, how we respond to God must triumph over unbelief and inactivity. Listen to what he says in verse 1. I love this. Through all this wrestling with the Lord, all these questions, you would think Habakkuk's fixing to just go and sit under a tree like Jonah and say, woe is me, right? But listen to what Habakkuk does. I will take my stand at the watch post or the watchtower. I will station myself on the tower and I will look out to see what he, what the Lord will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Oh, my brothers and sisters, God calls us in times of watching for his presence, waiting upon him. He calls us to take our stand, to be watching for him, to be waiting upon his word. He tells us not only to take our stand, but at our watch post, at our time. Stand to your feet, just like you're taking a stand today. Will you do that? Don't leave, we're not done. But stand to your feet. Watch this. You are standing now for this generation. You're standing watching if you're a believer. God's called you to take this stand, to go to the watch post, the watchtower, and to be looking for how God is going to show himself and how he is going to speak to this generation. And because Christ 
is prophet, priest, and king. Are you listening? If you are, say amen. Listen, this is better than business meeting. If y'all are thinking, I got to get the business meeting. This is better than life group. Yes, yes it is. I'm not better than Jared, but worship is better than life group. Watch this. When we are watching and we are taking our stand for this generation, we are looking for how God is going to speak. Why do we wander around as uh, like sheep who have no shepherd because we're not hearing the word of God? Now watch this. Christ is prophet, priest, and king in us is the very guarantee that the great commission should occur through us. What does that mean? That means we serve as prophet, priest, and king to a lost and dying generation. We show them the kingdom of Christ, right? We stand as this intercessory with Christ in us, helping them to know we are praying for you, my brother. And more than me praying, we have this great high priest who is interceding for us, and he's praying for us. And we serve as that prophet of God. So when we hear things that are just absolutely absurd, we stand upon the word of God and we just in the kindness of Christ say, God has a sure and definitive word. And this is his word. Do you believe that this morning? Say amen if you do. I am telling you, we take our stand. We're at the watch post at our specific time. Why do we raise up our children? To love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul. So their generation is not the last generation to hear the gospel. We want them to be raised up to follow Christ so that their children and their children's children can know the glory and splendor and the grace of Jesus. And then we wait for the vision of God and the word of God. We wait for the vision of God and the word of God. That's what Habakkuk was doing. I'm going to station myself on this tower. I'm going to look out to see what he's going to say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Oh, my brothers and sisters. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Like Habakkuk. The doubter may question God and may even debate with the Lord. But the doubter never abandons God. Unbelief is rebellion against the Lord. It's a refusal to accept what he says and what he does. Unbelief is an act of the will, while doubt is born out of a troubled mind and a broken heart. So what do we do with that, Pastor? The believer in the midst of evil and suffering proclaims the word of the Lord. We allow this Christ who dwells in us we let his prophetic nature speak through us, through this word of God. There's a song we used to sing around here. Maybe we've sang it lately and I don't remember it. It says, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. How many of you know that song? Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And then it breaks into that. Our God, listen to this declaration. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. Why? Because you are the everlasting God. You do not faint. You won't grow weary. 
You're the defender of the weak. Israel needed no more kings. They needed their Messiah. Right? He, he who is the defender of the weak, you comfort those in need. You lift us up on wings like eagles from everlasting to everlasting God. You are everlasting. So my brothers and sisters, may I say to you, plain, straight, and simple today, if you're here and evil is surrounding your life, I want you to know God knows. Don't surrender to it. Don't yield to it. Don't participate in it. But find your refuge and strength in the Lord. Cry out to Him. Tell people around you what you're experiencing. And whatever you do, hold on to the Word of God and don't abandon the Word. If you're here today and you're going through an unprecedented time of suffering, whatever that suffering is from, I want to say to you, God sees you. He knows you. You are not far from Him. He's laboring for you today. Man, the Lord is for you. He is not against you. He's for you. He's not against you. I believe God judges me as a believer. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. If you believe it, you're not believing rightly. God does not judge you as a believer. God judged Jesus on the cross. And if you've trusted Christ on the cross, he has judged all of your unbelief and sin. That's why Jesus is so glorious and wonderful and we run to him. Oh, my brothers and sisters, won't you tell God today, God, in response to your word, I'm asking that you never, never let me abandon it. Let me trust in you. Let my refuge be in you. God, no matter what my perceptions are, no matter, no matter how much evil rages, God, help me not to become dormant. But God, help me to take my stand upon your word, waiting for the Lord. I want us to pray together. If you came through Connect with Calvary and you signed uh, up for membership and said, yes, I want to come, I want to introduce all of y'all to our church family in just a minute, and then we're going to go into business meeting. And If you're a guest and you want to stay, you feel free uh, to stay. And If you want to slip out, you feel free to do that after invitation, and then we'll get to life groups after that. God, you are so faithful. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord.